0: I'm a financial planner, I had the finances right. Our overhead was really low, we were one big happy family of four, and within two years we had two more kids. So with that, I had this really successful business that was requiring a lot more labor than I thought it was gonna require. I had this growing family that I wanted to be influential and be with my kids. What I found was, I had these really great ambitions as a business owner. I had these really great ambitions as a father, and I really wasn't doing either well, and that bothered me.
1: Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We're the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura County, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. After 10 years with a nationally recognized financial planning practice, Wesley Pingleton had ambitions to go out on his own. In doing so, he got what he wanted, great success, creative freedom, and the opportunity to work with the right client. But with each complex case, a unique solution produced a massive amount of labor. In short time, he cringed at the thought of growing his business. In this episode, you'll hear how he learned to construct a business model that's allowed him to have it all, to scale his business, meet his financial goals, and truly enjoy his family life. In our guru talk, you'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and I address how most people make offers that they are unfit to present, commit to, or fulfill. Many just cannot prove that they are fit to build and maintain the transactions that would satisfy their aims. Here's the interview. All right, Wesley Pingleton, welcome to the Influence Ecology Podcast. John, I'm
0: very excited to be with you today. Well, let's give you a moment just to say who you are. My name is Wes Pingleton. I am co-founder of Full Circle Wealth, based out of Dallas, Texas. And what we do is we offer help to entrepreneurs and executives who are preparing for a liquidity event of some kind. Uh, Usually this is through the sale of a business or potentially somebody retiring, and they get invited to speak with us because they know life is gonna change for them in some way. At Full Circle Wealth, we spend time with clients assessing their resources, building balance sheets, giving them a good idea of what life's going to look like in this new phase. But most importantly, we spend time assessing their human capital and the human resources they have. I have a team of certified financial planners that help lead and just make really complex liquidity events simple. Very good. And is that
2: particular specialization... Something that's happened in the last several years? Is that what you've been at work on for some time?
0: It isn't. When I first got into this business, I was really good at what I did. I was a good quote unquote technician or financial planner, and I took pride that I could solve anybody's problem. And what I learned since I've joined Influence Ecology is that I'm really, really good at solving one kind of problem. And It was slowing me down by taking the variety, by increasing the scope of work that I did. So Influence Ecology really helped me fine-tune the problems that we solve, which has just made my life a lot easier and made me a lot more impactful to the clients that I work with. And
2: looking at your notes, one aspect of what you talk about you were growing in a way and and succeeding in a way where you say in your notes, you cringed at the thought of growing your business because of the amount of work that it involved. And I know for many people, when they consider growing their business or scaling their business, they often wonder, my gosh, do I want to work that hard? Or how might I alter my offer or my role in it or how I work so that I could grow larger or I could scale up? but not have to work so much, not have to busy myself in the way that you were concerned for. I I think it's first worth noting that you did quite well, but then you reached a point where you really did struggle with that particular issue. Anything you can say about what that was like or what you were dealing with at that time?
0: At that point in time, that's exactly when I found Influence Ecology. In the previous life, I've worked as an employee. I had a team that, that helped me. I had a really great identity and I just had this notion that I wanted to be a business owner. Oh my gosh, how great would it be if I could have all this creative influence and freedom, which I now know that's important to me. And very quickly, I got everything that I wanted. (laughs) But what I found was that I was also involved in other functions of the business that in a previous life I didn't have to do. And so I often thought, how great would it be to just have this really small business that I could control, I could do uh, and have the influence with the clients based on how I felt things should be done. And I found myself in this corner where I just cringed at the thought of bringing on a new case, which isn't like me. You know, I love to go talk about new ideas, but the amount of labor that was involved the amount of maintenance that i had to put forth to just maintain the current clients that i had really just created a breakdown for me where i wasn't enjoying the work i was doing even though according to my plan that i had i i, I was way ahead of schedule and it impacted your family too yeah it did When we first started the business, uh, Shelly and I, we lived in a 1,400-square-foot house with two kids. I'm a financial planner. I had the finances right. Our overhead was really low. We were one big happy family of four, and within two years, we had two more kids. So with that, I had this really successful business that was requiring a a lot more labor than I thought it was going to require. I had this growing family that I wanted to be influential and be with my kids. What I found was I had these really great ambitions as a business owner. I had these really great ambitions as a father, and I really wasn't doing either well. And that bothered me.
2: Well, let's stop and and talk about that for just a second. It's not uncommon for people to experience that they are quite good in one place or one area or one condition of life, but not so great in another, or there's imbalance. I can't tell you, Wes, the number of people that approach us and are seeking some kind of balance, whether or not they'd like to spend more time with their family, or they'd like to spend more time with certain hobbies, or or they just like to not work so much, or they'd like to be able to work less and so forth. So when you first started to participate here, did you start to recognize right away that there was something missing? And if so, then what was that?
0: I did. I would say whenever I first started the Fundamentals of Transaction program, I really couldn't articulate why I was joining. If you would have asked me how things were going at the time, I would have said, man, they're growing great. Would have cited some financial metric that said, look, I'm two years ahead of schedule, but... I knew I I didn't, I wasn't really proud of the work I was doing for some reason. And so whenever I joined the program, I think the biggest impact that I had initially was learning the idea of commitment. And I always prided myself in always doing what I said I was going to do. You know, I grew up in Oklahoma City. That was part of our ethic. That's how you know you're working with somebody. Is based on their commitment. And for me, one of the things we did in the fundamentals of transaction program is inventory commitments. And it reframed just what happens and how you're viewed when you renege on a commitment. And these are always things that I was aware of. But whenever you inventory the commitments that I had at the time, it really made me think carefully about Taking on anymore because I just realized I had my hands full. With the Fundamentals of Transaction Program, that's the single biggest impact because what I realized was I was running around as a business owner and as a father overwhelmed all the time. It made me really careful about the commitments that I would take on as a business owner and it made me really evaluate the commitments I've already made, and feel okay to say, look, you know, I know I said I'd do this, but I just can't. It helped me get out of overwhelm, which was really the first big aha moment that I've had in the program. So focus on transactional competence might be able to
2: get you through what you're dealing with, or to move you from overwhelm into a lot more freedom. So in your own words, anything you can say about how that comes together?
0: Yeah. It starts with getting very, very clear about what your aim is. Everybody talks about goals. Through school, we've heard lots of really creative speeches about goals and how everybody needs to have goals. But Influence ecology College does a really good job of forcing you to thoughtfully choose an aim for every condition of life. And what that helps you do is make decisions very quickly. If I have an aim that I want to attend all of my oldest daughter's soccer practices and I'm committed to that and somebody asked me if I can take a meeting at four o'clock in the afternoon, I know very quickly that's not going to work for me. And that's a very simple example, but connecting the dots and getting really clear about your aim has helped me make the commitments that I know will help me satisfy that aim and, and really quickly decline the things that just don't matter. To me, that's made all the difference. I believe you identify with the performer personality.
2: Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So one of the the dominant needs for happiness for a performer personality as we study it is freedom. So I sometimes wonder if some of my performers think, my gosh, if I articulate my aims in all these conditions of life, if I build the transactions to satisfy my aims in all these conditions of life, what freedom will I have? And it's a bit counterintuitive to be left with a huge, huge world of freedom when you've basically eliminated all of the gray area. <laughs>
0: Anything you want to say about that counterintuitive notion? I would say this. It took me forever to do this exercise. I'm in study groups where some of my study mates very quickly could articulate, yeah, these are, these, this is what my aims are, and they're very well thought out it was always very painful for me initially to put those on paper because the fact that you're putting those down takes away your freedom. I love to have flexibility. I love on the spurt of the moment to go do something or take some meeting or have an afternoon off for my kids. Yeah. It was a challenging practice. I can remember in those very early days, sitting down and articulating what I want here. And And knowing that that's going to create some commitments on down the road, that's going to take away my ability to maneuver and do what I want to do. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It almost made my stomach hurt when you sat down and finally (laughs) got everything down, written down and looked. But in other ways, as those aims got really clear and really simple and you look at them more frequently, They became a little more authentic, and the more authentic they made, the better they helped me. Eventually, I got over that to understand that they gave me more freedom if I did it right. Mm -hmm. But initially, it was a challenge to do the work, and it led to, quite honestly, really late study papers sometimes.
2: (laughs) Yep, I can imagine. Well, there is a a benefit to understanding that particular counterintuitive bit, articulating all of your conditions of life and what would and would not satisfy them, it starts to build a a very clear picture of what to accept and what to decline and how to move in the marketplace. And uh, I'm glad you discovered that counterintuitive lesson. Is there anything else that we should know about your journey through this study as a performer or what you discovered or how it helped you?
1: If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast.
0: This whole program has taught me how to, how to ask for help, and it's taught me that once you get help, it will translate into freedom. Once I really understood the value of getting the right people in our organization, mm-hmm. the speed at which things can move, that's completely changed the way we do things. I loved studying the personality types, but I loved even more going to my first conference and playing a game and getting involved in a team and seeing what it looks like when a bunch of ambitious people with different attributes and and different qualities get together to solve a problem. For me, since joining the program, we've added uh, two certified financial planners. One's a producer, one's an inventor. And just to kind of see the practice evolve over that period of time and see how much freedom that gives me to enjoy the specific work that I want to do and how much happier that makes me, that's made all the difference for me. So, going back to what we addressed at the
2: beginning, where you talked about the thought of growing or scaling up was a cringeworthy moment. Now that you've looked at your own personality and the personality of others, and you've gotten really clear about your aims, and you put all the re- the right people in the right place. Are you now still cringing at your growth? Or are you are you enjoying your growth more? Uh, what's happening there?
0: Well, so the work I'm doing is I get to spend my time with my clients, which I love, and I get to spend my time in invitation, inviting people to hear about what we do which I love. The labor of some of the back office functions I was involved in initially has largely been taken off my plate. And I'm passing it to somebody who loves to do that work. So it's an exchange that is win-win. And so for me, I, I just get lost in inviting and finding the right families for our firm. To answer your question, I don't cringe we've developed a whole process where we have essentially reinvented the way we invite people to learn about our firm. And I love going through that program with people. I love reinventing it with the team to make it better. And every time we get an accept for a new planning client to come on board, I get to do the things that I love and uh, other people do too.
2: Fantastic. You're talking about your Planning Council? Is that right? I saw that in your notes that you've reinvented that particular process and you call it the Planning Council. Can you say something about that?
0: So there are a lot of assets to freedom. I love being free to reinvent what we offer to our clients. I love the freedom to leave my office and go spend some time with my kids. But there's, there's a liability of freedom. And for me as a business owner, whenever I transitioned and, and started Full circle. I like everybody, John. I mean, I, I, I like... <laughs> that is true about you. <laughs> I, I like everybody. And so we would get referrals and I, I liked them and we would bring them on board and I would labor to do what I thought was a good, solid financial plan for them. And what we discovered once we started bringing the team on and really building out a, a resourceful balanced team is that there are just some decisions that I should make. And whenever you bring three clients on at the same time, it forces labor and forces attention off of current clients, which isn't good. So what we've decided is a way to get some of the decision-making off of me. And so we created a, it's a process called planning council. And Essentially, if a family is invited to learn about us, we'll spend 60 days with them. And our offer to them is look, adding clients to us that aren't a good fit is very high cost to us. We can spend 70% of our time trying to make a family happy when eventually we'll just figure out that that's just not possible. They're not looking for our offer. And so for them, one of the things potential clients are looking for is Look, we don't know anything about you and we're really not excited about risking any capital until we kind of know who we're dealing with. So, planning council is built off reciprocal exchange where we'll spend 60 days with somebody. We'll put a financial plan together. I'll we'll have our producer Kim put all the numbers, build a balance sheet, and essentially she'll present it internally to us. We have five certified financial planners. And What we'll do through that process is all of us, I'm a performer, we've got an inventor, we've got a judge, all of us will whiteboard all the potential breakdowns and solutions that we might see in this case. Over that period of time, what we get to observe is how this person's dealing with us. Uh, Are they getting their data into us in a timely manner? Are they making good on their commitments? And then at the end of that period of time, we will either extend an invitation to be a planning client or we won't. And what that's done internally is whenever we bring a client on, we already know the breakdowns. We already know how they're going to interact with us. Sometimes we know the person on the team that is going to be the best person to run the ongoing communication with them. And we can very quickly take off running and make a very quick impact. The thing that I love most about it is that it's created a really smooth cycle of families coming into our firm because one of the commitments that we make is we're going to do one of these at a time. And for us, it adds some some scarcity to the invitations that I'm making out there. In addition, it really ensures that our current clients who rely on us quite extensively to work with them throughout the year. It ensures that our team is always going to have enough time for them. And for the person that's coming in, it really focuses and concentrates all of our firm's resources on just that one case. And just the recommendations and the ideas that are thrown out have made a real big difference in the product that we've put out there. And we've even found in the markets that we're working that they're using our language. I had a person that just went through it, and at the very end, I, said, I invited him, look, I've, I've loved working with you. How do you think things have gone? And he said, do you mind if I extend an invitation to planning council to this person? And I showed him how to do that. That's great. We're actively teaching the marketplaces that we're working in the language and how we do things. And it's been incredibly successful for us.
2: And did you take the planning council as an idea where you really did seek to have the four different personalities involved in that council? Now,
0: yes. Because at first, everything's an idea. It's a narrative. Sounds real great. And once we really started implementing it and just seeing how much my producer, Kim, loved presenting that in front of us the authority it gave her within the organization, our judge is just always going to not like something and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't originally designed that way, but it's been by far the best component when we're really trying to craft what does this particular family need to do to be successful. I would imagine it just gives so much variety
2: of perspective in a way that's so customized for uh, a customer. I think it's a brilliant solution. I, I love it. I might steal it somehow. I'm, I'm looking at it. <laughs> well, I think the last thing I just want to ask you, you, you mentioned something about how influence ecology has taught you how to train. And you talked a little bit about how when we measure things so at influence ecology, we say if you don't measure it, you don't mean it. And we measure everything. And this is a practice you said you didn't care for initially. But then you later had a different view on that. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: In the Fundamentals of Transaction program, we measure three things, money, income, and health. And initially when I went through it, I would kind of throw things out there, not as accurately as I do today, about what I wanted to measure. And and what I found, this just took time for me. Uh, it started when i began going to the conferences and when i joined the mechanics and practice program where we we measure our aims over a 6 month period what i found as i've done that through a few cycles is that i was always one that was super ambitious and i would say things like i'm never going to drink another beer again or i'm going to wake up every morning and exercise and what would happen, as we all know, is that just wouldn't work for some reason. What I mean by influence ecology has taught me how to train is now when I'm looking at that six-month period, I can do anything for six months. And for me, I speculate, given the ambitious aims that I have, what metrics do I really want to try and see what difference it'll make? And it almost is a training mentality when once i'm done i can i kind of let go right i give myself some space i give myself an opportunity to really evaluate things but for me it's just it's a dedicated time and space for me to change my practices sometimes in a dramatic way to see if they've made an impact and some of the biggest new practices that i have now are the result of sitting at a conference, talking with somebody in the ecology and saying, you know what, why don't I give that a shot? And for me, just the limited scope of the commitment helps me know that, look, I've got a few more months until I get over this. And then we'll evaluate whether or not we want to make it a permanent practice. I enjoy that. Very good. Anything that you
2: want to say, giving a soapbox moment?
0: All I would say is I feel like Full Circle and Influence Ecology have really grown together. Even in the short time I've been participating in the program, I've seen you guys always evolving, always reinventing yourself. And I just love that about you guys. As a business owner, that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, I often think it's just worth the money to sit back and observe what John Patterson and Kirkland Tibbles are gonna come up with next. So I just appreciate you having me on the podcast and uh, just a- appreciate being involved in the ecology. All right, well, Wesley Pingleton
2: uh, from Full Circle Wealth, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. As I stated in our Guru Talk, you'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and I address how most people make offers that they are unfit to present commit to, or fulfill. Many cannot prove that they are fit to build and maintain the transactions that would satisfy their aims. This segment is from a public webinar on the topic we refer to as proving fitness. Here's the talk. In terms of how people might frame proving fitness when, when moving through all these steps, in your view why is this such a big deal?
3: I think that what people fail to recognize in uh, Western culture especially is the uh, inherent and grounded need for folks to uh, recognize that their concerns can be met in, uh, in a substantial way. And the, why we have proving fit at step number two, is that most people who make offers in the marketplace are doing the best they can, but they they fail to prove fit in those offers. What does that mean? They To, to be fit for something means that you are able to satisfy some kind of objective action. Some kind of objective measure. You could say it simply to be able to keep that promise. But it's not enough in our complex, highly dynamic, fast-paced marketplace today to simply say it. You've got to learn how to prove it. You need to learn how to build over time that body of accomplishments, that regular and recurring consistency of being able to demonstrate yourself as a source of help over and over. And to be fit, to be suited for, to be situated means that you're able to keep the promises that you make. Now, think about that in, in terms of the marketplace. There's a lot to do in a complex transaction to prove fitness. And there's a way that we're about to go through to demonstrate and to discuss with you how to continually demonstrate not just your physical fitness, but your psychological strength. You need to prove fit in your knowledge. You need to hold certain distinctions that are unique and specialized to you and to the offer that you're making, whether you're uh, in an enterprise aim or a personal aim, you've got to also look to the resources. Can you demonstrate that you have the resources to keep your promises in a marketplace offer? Do you have the resources, the tangible, intangible, and human resources at your disposal to deploy? That's another way to look at fitness. Most people do not know how to demonstrate that they are fit. Most people talk about their fitness. Most people talk about the features. Most people talk about benefits of marketplace offers, for example. Most people produce certain narratives in marketing that are high concept, but they fail on a regular basis to prove that they are fit to offer substantial and specific help to take care of substantial and specific breakdowns that people need taken care of in each one of those conditions of life. I think it's
2: worth taking a moment and finding ways to reflect on what is common. You talked a little bit about the the hype. Uh, there are all the ways that people go about making their offers in the marketplace. Uh, there are all the ways People go about selling something, pitching something, perhaps launching a new product, perhaps launching a new service, starting a company, and so forth. If we think about the things people are messing up, (laughs) where they don't demonstrate their fitness, first of all, what would you say that they're not attending to, and to whom are they not attending to it with?
3: Most people who fail. To prove fit are not relating to the customer if we're talking about marketplace transactions which are the predominant kind of transaction we deal with in our studies most people are concerned with demonstrating their own ability without demonstrating their ability to help they'll talk about their own kind of capacities for example but they're not relating it to the specific situation and why they are a source of specialized help, why they are the person, the company that is best suited to take care of something. One, another way to say it, John, is they know something that other people don't know about an intimate or specific issue that a customer is facing. They aren't fit. They aren't fit financially to keep the promises that they're making. Many times, people are doing their very best efforts to provide a good idea that they think that the market might actually, and they may be right about it, John, it might be a really good idea that the marketplace is in their mind ready for this kind of fix or this kind of product or service, but they're not fit to deliver it. They don't have the financial or the physical resources to take that offer to the marketplace, but yet they're out there doing it anyway. I'll give you another example. Some people, especially entrepreneurs, have a tendency to get a good idea, to compile a a team even, maybe even build some modeling, and they'll rush out into the marketplace, but they're not prepared to satisfy the kind of contractual constraints. They don't know the the ins and outs of a particular legal jurisdiction. For example, we just had a have an example of a young business person uh, out here in our local area who was building a very big business and then got approached by the jurisdiction and found out that they weren't they weren't correctly permitted for that particular activity. Yeah, they it was a good idea, and in fact, the way that they were building their nice enterprise, they were correct. It, they were serving something, but they didn't have the com- to transact all the way around the transaction cycle because they simply were not fully fitted for this particular enterprise in this particular jurisdiction. And that is a mistake a lot of people make.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you get your podcast. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, you can do so on our website, or I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes, and let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank Wesley Pingleton for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with him and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor, Jason Kelly. I'd also like to thank Tyson Crandall and Carl Gregory for their contributions.